0: NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org slash connected or call 1-800-460-6276.
1: Good
2: afternoon, everyone, and welcome again to NASM Live. My name is Prentice, and I am here, as always, with Wendy Batts and Marty Miller. And today, we're uh, going to dive back into some more CPT content, and we're going to talk about Level 2 of the OPT model, and of course, that's going to take us through Phases 2 through 4. and why are we talking about the the strength level, you know, because it's a, it's a model. It's a cycle. We spent a little bit, we spent a lot of time in stabilization. And now what you should be doing and what we're going to do with you today is help progress our clients and you trainers along the continuum. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and start. Now, we already know why we, uh, why we do stability, but for you, Wendy, why is, why is strength important? Why do we want to, why do we want to transition now into a uh, strength training?
3: Well, I mean, because it's exactly what it says. I mean, we're trying to build strength. I mean, we did stabilization. We have a very good foundation in phase one. And now that we're going into phase two, we're trying to take that bridge from stabilization to strength to make sure that basically the stabilizers and the prime movers are playing nicely together. So therefore we can build more strength. We can then, you know, start to build size if that's our outcome, become, have more, you know, max strength. So when we do try to translate over to power, we're kind of following the right protocol to get there safely, efficiently, and effectively.
2: Exactly. And you brought up a good point. So now we want to, we want to take advantage of, of the changes that we made in in phase one level one uh by getting our uh prime movers or for some of you listening from other systems those bigger type two muscles we want to get those playing nice with those type one muscle fibers and make sure everybody's doing their job uh we're moving into uh then we move into phase three which we're now calling again this is for the, this is a, a prelude to CPT 7 but uh we're calling it muscular development again, uh, not using, uh, not sticking with the hypertrophy term. And then, like you said, Wendy, max strength. So, a couple of things are a little bit different as we go through the integrated, uh, integrated training model. Uh, we're still doing, we're still doing uh, self myofascial techniques, self myofascial rolling as a
1: warm up. Why do we move now into active
2: stretching, Marty?
1: So again, because it's a progressive model, everything's there for a reason based on science. So just a quick review, when we had our first phase of training stabilization, we put in static stretching, because we were trying to elicit a change in length on chronically shortened tissue. So since this is a progression, people are moving better. There's no reason to do static stretching in the warm-up because now they've established the normal length tension relationships in muscles. They don't have those chronically shortened tissues so one, why put something in that isn't going to be beneficial? And two, now we know if we're moving low, we want to have the central nervous system a little more excited. So active stretching is really just a great, we'll still call it a range of motion, because we're firing now the muscles on the opposite side of the body to drive the motion on the area of the body that we're stretching. So, for example, we're going to do an active hip flexor stretch. I'm really, as I'm focusing in going into that technique, I'm really focusing on firing the glute to drive my hip into that extension, which is, yes, it's changing the length of the hip flexors, but it's not holding that position, so it's not looking for that permanent length change. But what I'm doing really is starting to get my central nervous system dialed in to fire the right muscles to go through these other motions I'm going to go through as I start doing my traditional muscular development training, max strength training, etc. Okay.
2: Great, and, and that's a very important uh, uh, point to bring up. Now that we're handling, we're doing things at slightly higher speeds and we're lifting uh, or we're doing resistance exercises with slightly greater intensities, uh, you need to, to make sure your, uh, your nervous system's okay with that idea. So we have to change the method of stretching a little bit to uh, accommodate that process. Okay, so now for you, Wendy, what changes in level two for uh, core balance and uh, plyometric training?
3: So core balance and plyo training in, this, er, in the strength level of the OPT, OPT model is going to build off of what was done in the stabilization level of the model. So once a client improves their ability to maintain proper joint alignment, their stability and their control, then we want to work on enhancing that stability and alignment through a greater range of motion. So in phases two through four um, core balance and plyo exercises are going to involve enhancing eccentric and concentric strength and movement through a greater range of motion. So to do this exercises are performed at more of a moderate to medium tempo through the full available range of motion without compensation. So, Again, for example, in phase one in core, there was no motion of the spine. Now we're adding motion of the spine in phases two, three, and four. Um, When we're talking about balance in phase one, there was no motion of the stance leg. And now in two, three, and four, we're actually moving through flexion and extension of of that leg. And then um, when we get to thinking about plyo, we went in phase one from, you know, some like a squat jump with a stabilization hold to work on landing mechanics. Well, now we're doing more repetitive motions, so still the same type of exercise, but we're just making it at more um, at a faster tempo. So, so again, we're just again, this is kind of looked at as an extended warm up. So we don't, you know, in phase two when we talk about supersets, which is where Marty's going to go next, um, we don't have to do a superset for core balance and reactive. These are just warming up the muscles for the actual workout to come.
2: Okay, that's that's great. And what else? Uh, So definitely we're now allowing more spinal movement for for core exercises where we wanted to just uh, uh, train our core with uh, almost no movement in in phase one. We're adding a little more movement into balance. We're doing plyo exercises under control. What else changes with the acute variables in these three parts of integrated training? Are we doing... Are we doing crazy amounts of volume? Are we doing low volume? How does that how does that fit into the template for our trainers out there?
3: Well, again, you're going to want to look, you know, look through the book, because, again, it's going to give you your exact rep ranges. You're going to see that instead of it being from 12 to 20, we're going more eight to 12. Or if you're doing single leg stuff, it's um, I think it's you know, I usually tell everyone to do around six to eight per leg. So, um, you know, we're, we're still, you can add rest periods if needed, uh, the same thing when you're getting to, you know, you're reactive again, you want to, you want to try to follow the acute variables given. So therefore we're, we're really maximizing, um, what's going to happen, you know, further up. Now you will see some of them says optional, because again, if you're doing like hypertrophy training or something like that, some people feel like if I'm burning too many calories,
2: so uh wendy has left the building uh marty did you hear where she
1: was going do you want to pick up on that going on the optional if i'm truly in a hypertrophy phase or muscular development now we're rephrasing it to that terminology is i may not choose to do some of that because of it doesn't fit the program at the time and i'm not trying to burn those extra calories so it just comes down to that's the beauty of the model is it's all there for you and now there's times where you can make some selections based on what the goal of your client is especially as you start to get out of that stabilization phase and now we're moving into that muscular development into the hypertrophy or max strength phase you have some ability to you know see what fits best for your client's current needs and goals and
2: uh and on another and on another note and you guys can chime in and correct me But also you you have to you have to look at what Marty and Wendy are suggesting. Look at what your client has in the template for today and keep in mind that you can't do everything. So if you have if you're working up in muscular development, max strength and in uh, phases three and four, you don't want to fatigue, you definitely want to excite, excite your nervous system to prepare it for work, but you don't want to do so much of a volume that it takes away from the, whatever you've designated as the most important segment of your workout for today. And you can give homework, you can give homework, or you can put it, you can put those things on alternative days. So it's, there's room, like Marty said, it's flexible, and there is room for everything. So, moving on, we're now we're talking about phase two, and we're doing uh, we're doing supersets now. Why are we doing supersets there, uh, Marty?
1: Sure. So let's just make sure we're on the same page. So a superset is an exercise of the same muscle group, same movement pattern. Mm-hmm. So some people get it confused with a compound set where I do a chest exercise followed by a back exercise. So just for clarification, a superset's is going to be a chest to chest, back to back, same body part. And the reason we do that, again, science is in that strength endurance phase, it, it's right in the name. We want to work on strength and we want to work on the ability to maintain strength for prolonged periods of time. So we have to activate both muscle fiber types. So the first exercise is that 202 tempo, which is still – slow for most people doing strength training, but it's picking up the speed from our traditional stabilization training. So it'd be two-second concentric, two-second eccentric, no isometric, and that is to get the type two muscle fibers kind of excited and fatigue them so they're out of the way. So immediately, and I mean immediately, get to your stabilization exercise, which is the same movement type. So it could be dumbbell chest press right to a push-up. You know, so we're trying to keep it as similar as possible and as immediate as possible. And now I go into a three, two, one tempo. So it's, and now you're gonna start to add that eccentric longer. You are gonna have an isometric and then the two cent, uh, the the one second concentric, excuse me. So it's three second eccentric, two second isometric, one second concentric. And now you're really, the only thing left is the type one muscle fiber types. So by the time that set's done, You could have had about 100 seconds time under tension if you did 10 10 reps on both exercises. That's a huge amount of volume. So that's why you see we don't have as many sets as other people because it's really it's not about the sets. It's about time under tension. But from that scientific advantage, you've taken out both muscle fiber types. So you need that next rest interval that we put in there purposely because there shouldn't be much left in the tank after that.
2: That's great. So let me ask, let me ask a question. And I've heard this, uh, stated phrased differently, uh, over the years when we're doing our supersets and we're, we're working through our template. What's, uh, what's the best way to go about that? Do we want to do our supersets horizontally and, uh, like, uh, horizontally just focusing on that one, one movement pattern? All the way across until we're done, or do we want to do we want to go vertical and essentially give that movement pattern of a large, a larger rest period as we work through the the, the template? Uh, so what what are the advantages of each, and uh, how would you go about uh, programming that?
1: It's a great point. So it really comes down to what I'm trying to accomplish. Okay. So, if I really want to attack one muscle group, because let's say that somebody wants to do maybe just chest on one given day, or they maybe do a push-pull, now that might dictate, right, on what I want to do. So just the key thing comes down to is if I go horizontally where it's chest, superset, rest, chest, superset, rest, chest, superset, rest, understand that you're not going to have as much recovery as if you're doing a total body workout and that now you have to be ready to adjust the weight because you're getting more work in a shorter period of time but interestingly enough the research is going to show you that for cellular changes and that elicit that response that we're looking for in these phases sometimes that's the best way to do it now if you want a total body workout and you want to add some cardiovascular because you're doing total body so again it's what are we trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. so you know now I'm just thinking of this because of what's going on with COVID. You might want to just get to your bench, stay on your bench and not give up your bench and be bopping around the gym. So just understand that that's still a great way to do it. You're not screwing up the model by not doing it, you know, that total body approach. And again, so there's just different benefits to it. It's more concentrated, which means you're going to use at some point less weight. But here's what I always tell people, your muscle knows fatigue. It does not care what the weight is. So people are like, oh, I don't want to do it that way because I have to drop the weight. Well, but to challenge my body, aren't I looking to elicit fatigue appropriately so I can know that I worked out the right way? So your body doesn't care if you're going from 55-pound dumbbells to 45. It just knows that you're fatiguing to that level because you have now shortened up your load or the rest time because you went horizontally instead of vertically. So they both have an advantage. And what I'm going to encourage you to do, If you haven't done one or the other, immediately change and try it and watch what happens. You're going to get some great responses because it's a new stimulus to your body. Yeah.
2: So it's uh, so that the answer to that question is uh, is essentially yes. You should (laughs) should experience you should experience both. But you You did have
1: science behind it. So I had to go a little bit longer.
2: Yeah, no, that's uh, no, that's that's actually that's actually perfect. And and you always bring up the good point of you need to know what it is you're trying to accomplish. If you are if you are chasing a, a record or if you're if that is your competition, actually doing actually doing some powerlifting, weightlifting, then you may not want to train in that way. And for you, probably you would do more of a total body and give more rest time between those movement patterns. But if that's not your idea, if that's not your
1: focus and you're trying to get in the condition for something else, you know, go for it. And today, for example, today was my push pull day, more of that phase two. I'm limited with what I have. So I purposely went horizontal because that elicited the fatigue I wanted because, I purposely did it that way because I didn't have the dumbbells and things I would have wanted. So I just, again, spun the science around to my advantage. And instead of doing something in a, you know, a different way that if I was in the gym, I might have because I have more equipment. I purposely did my chest, chest and chest. And it was when I say brutal, not inappropriate. It was like, wow, I got exactly the response I needed to challenge myself appropriately being creative in this new training environment but I still stuck to the science.
2: All right, excellent. So now we're moving on to phase three, Wendy. Muscular development, uh, hypertrophy. Uh, So what are the benefits? Can you, first of all, give us an overview of what's happening there and why is it it beneficial?
3: Sure. Well, while phase three is currently called hypertrophy, but soon to be muscle development, um, it increases, Uh, the cross section of a muscle. So this phase can be beneficial for everyone who's looking to change body composition, whether it's to enhance fat loss or lean body mass. Um, It's a great bridge between the strength, endurance and max strength to be able to prepare for the higher loads that we're going to see in maximal strength. So to better appreciate how training in this phase can benefit all clients, it'd be good to kind of think about the review and what contributes to muscle hypertrophy. So, If you think about myofibrillar hypertrophy, it's the result of an increase in the size and the number of myofibrils which contain the contractile components of the muscle fiber. So, you know, that's influenced by the amount of tension to the lesser extent, the time under tension placed on the muscle. So by increasing the amount of tension placed on the muscle, the body's going to adapt to the increased mechanical stress by increasing the number and the size of the the myofibrils. So... This is going to result in greater tensile strength and contractile forces. Um, And then when you think about uh, sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, um, that affects the cross-sectional area due to the increase of the sarcoplasmic fluid and the non-contractile components of the muscle cells. So that's resulting in the increase in the volume and the size, but it's not necessarily large increases in the strength. So this type of hypertrophy is influenced by manipulating the rest periods between the sets and the exercises and or, of course, the the increased time under tension. So by limiting the rest periods between the sets and the exercises or increasing the time, which um, the time under tension, the body is going to try to become more resistant to fatigue.
1: And uh, Marty, can you go ahead and uh, pick that up? Yeah, I mean, I think Wendy's right at the point where, you know, for in closing is that your body will adapt to the stresses you place on it. So, you know, if you want to increase the muscle mass, where I think a lot of confusion is in the industry, and it doesn't mean maybe professionals, maybe people in the gym is they don't understand the time under tension going at a little more moderate pace than what we see in the gym and having shorter rest periods than what most people see because their mind they're like well i'm still fatigued i can't pick up as much weight but that's not what the research shows us if you're looking at the muscle hypertrophy that wendy explained okay great thank you thank you for that
2: no you know what and i just want to stress to everyone who's out there uh Uh, listening to us this afternoon. We are indeed in unusual unusual times, and sometimes we are uh, subject to the laws that uh, our Wi-Fi, our individual Wi-Fi systems place on us. So it is not intentional that we have uh, some uh, technical difficulties once in a while. We ask that you bear with us, and we will always strive to give you the best possible content. So uh and and Wendy Marty completed your sentence perfectly.
3: I you know it was fantastic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh so let's continue with that. So what our what are Picking up on those acute variables again for uh, someone who's doing some muscular development training, what are those acute variables that we're looking for that will elicit that that response?
3: So when you're thinking about a tempo, it's going to be about a 202 tempo?
2: Yeah, it's going to be about a, a 202, 202 tempo. Yeah. And
3: did I? Oh, goodness 202 um 6 to 12 reps uh you know you want to rest anywhere between 0 to 60 seconds basically that's that's your goal
2: and uh what about the what about the intensities how do you how do you measure that and i'm going to give you two cases uh, one is i think one is standard uh doing this as a percentage of, uh, one rep max, but how do you, how do you judge intensity with something? Because we are in unique, uh, times, how do you, uh, judge something like, uh, body weight exercise? How do you determine, how do you determine what that 70 to 80% is on a, on a body weight exercise? You're
3: all yeah, about I hypertrophy.
1: Mean, that's right.
3: All right. Um, I don't know. Can you tell? Um, you know, I, I always tell people to, you know, you're you're always carrying around that amount of load. So your body's used to that. So did I lose you guys again? Nope. No, okay. we're, listening.
2: we're listening intently. <laughs> now we lost you. You just have to roll with it and keep going.
1: Uh, I can pick it up. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Body weight or any time you're doing the exercises, the beautiful thing about the model, again, is Wendy gave you the amount of reps that you need to do. So if you're fatiguing at that six reps, right, you're going to be at the higher percentage. If you're fatiguing more towards 12 reps, you're at the lower percentage of that range. So really, because we're not going to recommend going in with a beginner and going right to the the, fourth phase of training and doing a one rep max, we don't have to worry about that because the formulas are based on the – algorithms on when you would fatigue. So that's the beautiful thing about it. When I got in the industry, people were like, oh, we got to do a, a one rep max for leg press and chest press. And I did them. I didn't know why. And then I'm like, what are we doing this for if that's not even the phase of training they're in. So those percentages are there because it's a standard in the industry. But let's be honest, focus on the tempo, focus on the reps, your formula for the percentage takes care of itself. Okay, so that's if you need
3: the percentage, I mean, it's about 85% of your one rep max. I mean, that's that's kind of the goal of phase three. So, But to, to Marty's point, I mean, if you do the right rep range at a 202, that should be about 85% of it without having to figure out any of the numbers.
2: Yeah. And for those of you who are, and picking up on that point, for those of you who are doing bodyweight exercises, you're going to have to, uh, if you're saying that you're limited... And you don't have enough to do uh, to do any hypertrophy training. I would suggest that you look at and learn your progressions and regressions. Try to come up with as many progressions and regressions as you can to put your put your client in that within that rep range, like they're talking about. And you'll be able to get a lot. You'll be able to work through the entire model.
1: And that hopefully might be with weird. your. I'm sorry, ahead, sir. No, but I'm thinking that might be because of the unique time where we were talking about this earlier, where you might want to do the more, you know, instead of going vertical, you might want to do more horizontal where you're now going back to back to back because maybe you don't have the load that you and I were talking about earlier, how I did my program today. A lot of times now doing the chest to the chest to the chest, will take care of that because you don't need quite as much load in a sense, as well as the progressions. Okay. Thank you for that, and I just
2: got a question in from Hannah, and is uh, asking, with the supersets in phase two, uh, she's saying that she has trouble fitting the workouts into 55-minute sessions. Uh, even if the clients do the work warm-up on their own, uh, do you have any advice for this? Uh, for this, it's not a problem, it's just a challenge. So, uh Either one of you. Let's start with you, Wendy. Uh,
3: (laughs) Perfect. Just in case Marty needs to finish my sentence. Um, uh, You know, basically, I have never had a problem getting everything done from our from core all the way to the entire warm up. I mean, uh, to the entire workout in like 45 minutes. So, with that being said, we do core balance and reactive. We then repeat it, and I usually do about two sets of those, but I don't give them a break. I mean, again, because it's their warm up, And then when we get to, you know, if it's a time factor, it really does depend on the client. Um, A lot of my clients that come in for phase two, uh, they are wanting to also, you know, um, do some cardio work. So I don't give them a rest in between. I'll do a chest superset right into a back, right into legs. And then I will repeat, go back to chest, back, you know, back to chest, back to back and then back to legs. And then we'll do that as a vertical load.
2: Yeah, and now you'll be able to do that as a vertical load and hopefully, and I think where Wendy was going is that if you, uh, uh, it's okay, if you go in a vertical load, you can you can seemingly work through the entire, if you're doing a total body session, you can work through that entire template without rest and keep that client moving pretty and blow through it in that 45 minute, uh, time limit. Uh, did I, did I get that? That Andy? was
3: fantastic. Again, <laughs> letting me at least start it. But yes, I mean, again, and, and a lot of times the reason why people run out of time is because they're talking too much to their clients or there's a lot of downtime where they should just keep moving.
2: Yeah. So just you know, just a little joke. If any of you've ever met me on the floor that would, time limits would not be a problem because we don't we don't talk about a whole lot, but uh, I understand that you're building a rapport with your client. And one thing that I'll add and then I'll let uh, Marty look like he had something to add to this and I'll let him jump in. But when you're when you're programming as well, you have to, I think what's happened in the industry is we've uh, we've been kind of socialized to get in that butt kicking workout where we have we do a bunch of different movements and we try to leave the workout. uh, We try to leave our workouts beat down what you really have to do in this case. If you're finding that you're not being you're not able to stick to your time limits, you have to prioritize the, the what you want to accomplish for today, and be very disciplined with sticking sticking to that. I mean, if you adhere, if you think about doing in hypertrophy, maybe three to four sets of whatever it is you're doing, and you prioritize your movements, and you stick to the variables, you can get through that. You should be able to get through that uh, without without many challenges. And Marty, you wanted to add you wanted to add something to that discussion.
1: Yeah. Another way to look at it is if you – depends on how you're doing it, right? If you're adding in – you know, Wendy gave a great example of like a push, pull, and a leg. But if you are adding in shoulders and arms, you may not need to because of time under tension. But there's nothing wrong with doing splits, right? I do – because I want to spend more time on some other things, I do a push-pull. And then the next day I I do more of like my shoulder and tricep. And then I do, you know, legs and biceps and I rotate it that way. And I, that way I can get in in the amount of time I want to get in make sure I get my warm up. But I also need to spend some extra time on a few other things like my corrective, etc. So I've decided to just stretch out over the course of the week. And the research shows that as long as you're getting the same amount of volume over the week, it doesn't really matter how you do it in two workouts or four workouts. So, you know, if you're finding that that's, a, that could be another way, because, you know, I still like doing some arm training, things like that. So, I'll spread it out, do a little bit less, but do it because I can get yeah. in the gym five or six days a week.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I do something very similar. Uh, one day a week, I'll do a squat uh, squat pattern and horizontal horizontal presses and pulls. And then on another day, I'll do a, a hinge, any kind of hinge and vertical, uh, vertical presses and pulls and can get that done in pretty short time sticking to the variables. And you had something else to add to that, Wendy?
3: Well, yeah, because I think as well, I mean, you know, in the example that I gave, if you just did chest, back, and legs in the phase two, like actually following the uh, the guidelines there, but you wanted to add in biceps and, and shoulders, then you could do a single leg squat touchdown with a curl to press as your back.
2: And I think where Wendy was going is that if if that is your goal to to add in more of the single joint movements, it's okay to add that into uh, a compound lift. Mm-hmm. Throw that into your template so that uh, so that you can get that into your session. And also, I wanted to pick up on something that Marty was getting at with uh, correctives and something that I've done. And Marty said that he does that uh, throughout all of his sessions. Is that Uh, I've gotten to the point of where I have one corrective day and uh, and then my uh, and then I add in some of that pickup stuff. So I get if I want to do a little extra arm work along with my corrective exercises, I throw it into that day and stick to it. And it's been uh, it's helped me be a little more efficient with my with my timing and my programming. All right. Do you have anything else to add to that point? I think we've gotten through uh, uh, phase three. So uh, for phase four, Marty, can you, because you are uh, former or are, are you a former powerlifter or a recovering powerlifter? Former. I've recovered. <laughs> <laughs> former and you've recovered. Excellent. Uh, so uh, give us an overview of what's happening in in phase four.
1: Yeah. And the only reason I say recover is it's just, I don't need to push myself at that level. I I still go through power and I still do some heavy lifting. It's just, you know, I'm not going to do the heavy squat and things like that because of the compressive forces. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a great phase. And I grew up on it and love it and probably got me in the industry because back in the day, I thought that, you know, the heavier weight I lifted, the bigger I would get. And it really challenged me to look at the science. So, you know, I love this phase of training. It's very appropriate. Again, you can scale it to what's appropriate to your client, regardless of who you work with. Everyone can get stronger. It may not be every lift, but you might be able to find a certain lift or two that's still safe for them. So, what you're doing here is you're just looking for maximal muscle fiber recruitment in a movement pattern. And the reason you have to go heavier is, you know, when I pick up my club soda or when he picks up her drink, we're not firing every single muscle fiber in that movement pattern. So, again, going back to you know, and this might be some of the questions we have at the end. Why is hypertrophy important for everybody? Why is max strength potentially important for everybody? After a certain period in our 20s, our body starts a natural decline on losing muscle mass and losing strength. So if we don't undulate our program, put something in there at some point that's appropriate, we're just allowing the body to not overcome that natural decline. And then, you know, at some point we've lost a lot of our strength. We've lost a lot of our muscle mass that's appropriate for our body type. And that's, we don't wanna do that, right? We will still wanna be strong appropriately. And we still wanna have that muscle hypertrophy to what's appropriate because there's so many other health benefits. So really after the unique, you know, great warm up and great core and getting the body ready to go, we're just appropriately lifting up enough load to elicit more response in that movement pattern from the available muscle fiber. So we get near close maximal recruitment of that movement pattern.
2: So I'm I'm going to ask you something uh something
1: controversial
2: I don't know if it's controversial uh, maybe I'm making that up in my own head and then we'll pick back up with the acute variables but uh, over the years I've been opposed to the the concept of senior training because in the absence if there aren't any if there aren't any health issues uh, upon history that we should worry about, then they should have the advantages of all, of all phases of training appropriate to their, their structure, their skill and their ability to recover from those training sessions. So what's your, uh, what's your stance on taking, taking someone who is in the uh, senior demographic through uh, max strength type training? Uh, that's for both of you. Let's open it up and talk about
1: that. I would say I do a modified version, right? Because again, mm-hmm. let's assume, you know, you could have the healthiest spine in the world, never had a back injury. After a certain age, you're still naturally having some deteriorate, uh, you know, um, deterioration of your discs and your space and all that, and compressive force. So again, I stopped loading my spine with a squat bar probably 10 years ago, not because any other reason than I was like, I'll. I can still be strong and load my spine differently, but I'm looking at what do I want? What do I want my spine to be when I'm fifties and sixties and seventies? So since I wasn't competing, you know, I'll hold kettlebells, I'll hold dumbbells, I'll put a weight vest on, hold kettlebells. So I'm still loading, but I'm just doing it in a safer manner. So fast forward now, 20 more years, you know, when I'm in my sixties is, yeah, I still want to have some strength. So I might do with some of my clients, once they've earned the right, I might do a seated row and let them put a little weight on, right? I'm, just, I'm not going to have them do a deadlift or things like that under max strength. I might do that in a strength endurance or something like that. But, you know, I'll always get creative. I'll use the platforms and let them do maybe a, a, a modified deadlift from a higher position because you never know what they may have to face in real life. And let's be honest, they're motivated to do it. So it's absolutely safe if you've gone through the model. What's not safe is if you don't have a theory on how you're progressing people and you just think, well, everyone needs to get stronger. So this is the way they move. So I'm going to load them. That I totally disagree with. If you have to skip it for everybody, no problem. Right. Because there is a point in time where there might be, not be the risk to reward return. So that's why we call it optional. But don't be afraid to think of it differently and allow maybe one or two exercises to be done in a very safe, controlled manner for a period of time.
2: Okay. And Wendy, do you have any, you have any thoughts about that with the clients you've worked with?
3: So I mean, I'm going to, you know, definitely follow Marty's comments there because again, it depends a on the client's goal. I mean, is it appropriate, but then again, you also need to think you're trying to train them for like life. So there are going to be days where they're going to have to move fast, lift heavy, you know, increase speed, change directions, and
2: so And so this this sort of doing max strength training and and, and at, to a greater part all of the adaptations that we're trying to create within the OPT model are are things that one could very likely have those demands will be imposed on them in real life. I mean, uh, Marty, you're from uh, you're from the East Coast, uh, Buffalo. You're from Buffalo. I'm from Chicago. They have unkind drivers there. You have to be fast. Yeah, right? uh, you have to be fast. And
1: think about shoveling that snow. How many heart attacks happen a year, right? When people have to yeah. shovel that snow? Or you know, I'm down in Florida now, picking people picking up their suitcase. So again, it's it can be a very, very, very modified version. I'll never do a one rep bench press or row with somebody, but you know, I might let them go towards six to eight. Maybe I'll go a little, you know, but again, it's just allowing them to have some level of strength with what's appropriate, watching their five Connecticut checkpoints. I've progressed them through it and I'm only dabbling in it because they're not going to spend weeks upon weeks upon weeks, but there are a few exercises that can carry over to helping them live their everyday life and I'll sprinkle those in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up a good point a couple of webinars ago, and that was uh, also you have to you have to differentiate when we train. And when we talk about max strength, are we doing this in the context of a sport mm-hmm. where that has a whole set of demands and techniques that we need to accomplish? Or are we training, as both of you have said, for the, the demands of of our uh, regular lives? And uh, so we got a question in from Krista and uh, Krista tends to like corrective exercises, uh, but she feels like a lot of clients seem to want to jump the gun and, and do weightlifting, even when they have many imbalances to improve on. Are there any tips that you have on how to present that to them in a way That lets them know you understand what they want, yet explain what's needed to safely get there, uh, to get them there so that they can get to more strength training. Um, Let's start with you, Wendy. You have to be fast now.
3: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I'm going to try it again. So, So this happens with a majority of clients that come in, but I think it's up to the trainer to not tell them what you're doing. I mean, and what I mean by that is have them foam roll, have them go through their stretches. And then, of course, you know, corrective is done on the front end. So say, okay, we're going to start doing your lateral two walking. We're going to do some bridges. We're going to do whatever activation exercises that you want them to do under core anyway. And then as soon as you're done doing those activation exercises, then get them into um, into their workout. So I think it needs to be sprinkled in, but we shouldn't call it corrective exercises We should say, okay, this is what we're going to do to warm you up. And then we're going to move you into the workout right after that. And I've really never had anyone question me on, on that, because again, they're, they're coming to me because I know best. And if they do say anything, it's like, Hey, we want to wake up some muscles. So therefore, when you're, when you're working out, we're going to maximize the amount of uh, weight you're going to be able to load with proper form.
2: Yeah. Uh, Perfect. Thank you. And Marty, do you have anything to to add to that?
1: Yeah, everything Wendy said, I agree with 100 percent. I use that same strategy. But now just to give a different option is, you know, one, you got to know what your strengths are as a trainer and who you're dealing with. Sometimes, you know, going into, hey, remember what your goal was. Your goal wasn't to necessarily work out hard. Your goal is six weeks from now you want to be here. And sometimes just taking them through an education process. We're not going to talk about, oh, my God, you move horribly. We're going to talk about, I know right now you want to do this, but if I get you to move more efficiently, then we can spend more time on a treadmill, pick up more, whatever, right? Or another way to do it is what I call that accidental exercise where you're sprinkling in correctives during the workout, where they feel like man it was a great workout but you know that you tricked them and i'll give you an example is you know i like to say at the end of the work i'm like all right guys you got you know or wendy great workout you got about four minutes give me a body part you want to work on i'm controlling the narrative trust me she's like triceps great grab a stability ball i put her in a stability ball bridge and i let her do her triceps i could care less about the triceps but i've put in a core exercise where the whole time i'm focused on find that neutral pelvis bring your hips up squeeze those glutes And she's rocking her triceps. So I let her feel that she was a part of it. I let her pick the body part she wanted. I was like, she needs more gluten core work. So no matter what exercise she or body part she gave me, I was giving her what she needed. It just was, again, a way to master the techniques of controlling the narrative. And that's all it is. So there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Tell the story. Don't tell the story. Sprinkle it in. But the key thing is just make sure you get it in.
2: That is uh, that's perfect. And and I'll add nothing. Uh, I agree with everything that both of you said. But one thing that I that I want to stress to trainers out there is, number one, speak English. When you when you have that interaction, don't throw all of the industry jargon at them uh, because that's overwhelming. And, you know, someone said, yeah, I just I don't care. I just want to. I just want to get into uh, as one of my friends as uh, actually rich fami one of our other master instructors and content manager says yeah i just want to be able to get into my pants without without a blowtorch and and grease you know i i want to be able to do that uh why are you talking to me about all of this stuff so definitely speak english to your clients bring everything back to their goals. And for you as a trainer, you have all of that knowledge. Uh, You're also a lot like a magician, like you're, I challenge you to find your uh, inner pen and teller. So part of that is giving them what they want, giving them a good story, a good show. And then there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misdirection appropriately going on in that session so that they So that you give them everything that they're asking you for, but also giving some of the things that you found out they need so that they can get to their their goals more efficiently. Um, So I hope that answers your your, uh, question, Krista. But right now we're going to move into some other questions that we've gotten over the last uh, several days. And this one's for you, Marty. So... If our goal is is hypertrophy, I come to you and I say, hey, man, I want to get big. Uh, My daughter's going to be a teenager in a few years. I know she wants to. uh, I know she's going to make the right choices. I know she's smart enough. But when I answer that door, I want to be jacked. Uh, Why are you
1: starting me in stabilization phase, man? Why are we starting in phase one? Now that's a great point so again somehow with your story how you feel comfortable about the model you got to let them know that this is a progressive model and that you know sometimes i'll say you know apprentice i were talking like apprentice great i know you want to get bigger have you worked out before If he's like yeah well right there that means he's tried this hasn't been successful on his own right there's as he said the magic what's the definition of insanity trying the same thing over and over again expecting different results so it opens the door say, okay, so you've worked out before, you haven't achieved your goals. And I kind of force you to tell me what you've done in the past. And he's going to tell me that he's done your traditional hypertrophy training without success. So now that allows me to go back into, okay, we're going to do some things different because at the end of the day, apprentice, you said in eight weeks you want to get bigger. So I'm holding him accountable to what his goal was. So I go through and say, okay, we're going to start something different because you've tried it before your way and haven't seen the success. Here's a new approach. And now appropriately I'll feed him the information that I feel he wants, you know, so I'll talk about apprentice, you know, if we get you more stable, get you moving better, you're going to work out harder. You're going to be able to move more weight as we get into that phase, going to get you better goals, you know? So I'll tie it back to the science, but I'm going to let him kind of open up the door for me to tell me why he wants that goal. Cause most people have worked out before they come find us, generally speaking. And if they haven't, that's great because now they go, like, oh, well here's the process. So either way, they're going to give you the information you need to teach them about the model. Just find your voice, find your stories and make it personal. It's worked for you in the past. You know, I'll give you know, because that's that resonates when you have your story on the success you've seen with yourself or other clients that were in a similar situation.
2: All right. So thanks. Thank you for that. And the next questions for you, uh, Wendy, and we talked about we touched on this earlier, but. Uh, is phase two is phase two good for the weight loss client?
3: Well, phase two is fantastic for uh, weight loss clients for many reasons because the volume, the intensities, the time under tension, all that's going to contribute to greater metabolic or metabolic stresses that influences muscular development and
1: caloric expenditure. <laughs> yeah. Keep going, Marty, keep yeah. going. So phase two is there's there's more volume and it, it's, I mean, it's challenging. We talked about the time under tension if you did 10 seconds or 10 reps at a 2 2 and a three two one, And it really comes down to there afterwards, depending on your cardiovascular and your nutrition. You can use it for hypertrophy because of the volume. You can use it for weight loss because of the volume. It just comes down to now what you're doing from a nutritional standpoint. Are you restricting calories? Not too many, of course, but that's awesome. That's covered in the CNC or are you increasing your calories and what are you doing with your cardiovascular work? So it's, it's phenomenal for either end of the spectrum, right? Wendy. (laughs) Yeah. And,
2: uh, I think, and, and think about this as, as you're training, as you're working out, you're not going to make all of your gains in, in one session, just, just to be clear if you look at what you what you do for cardio on a treadmill maybe at best if you're really going at it for 40 minutes what would you say you burn 500 500 calories maybe yeah it depends on
1: your body size and if you're walking or running right but yeah, yeah
2: that'd be yeah maybe yeah maybe on a really good day uh a pound of pound of body fat is somewhere around 3,000, 3,500, somewhere around there. You definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not going to get all of that in one workout. And a lot of what you do is you're, you're losing, you're losing a lot of that weight in, in water. So I think what Marty touched on is that your weight loss is, is it's a comprehensive approach. It, it Definitely is influenced by what you're doing in nutrition. It, it's uh, Marty touched on your your cardiovascular work outside of the sessions, uh, outside of your your strength training sessions, and also like what are you? How are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? That has a definite influence on your on your weight loss. So it's not just what's going on in that one snapshot. Of that person's life which is anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and did you have anything to uh add to that wendy
3: no i mean he he did a great job and if you work out hard enough and you're burning a a lot of calories you know it's not just during your workout but think about epoch as well like after you're done and you go home you notice you're still hot and sweaty
2: okay so, yes, you, it's like, uh, I think Wendy was saying the same thing, definitely a comprehensive approach. And there are a lot of factors that go into your, your caloric expenditure and how your body, uh, is using, using your, uh, your fat. So, uh, you, here's another question for you, uh, Marty, uh, you have clients who aren't interested in hypertrophy uh can phase three be fin- beneficial or, or should it still be used
1: it can be beneficial now when they say they have no interest is that at the beginning the first time you meet them because they're fearful of gaining size because maybe weight loss is their goal or you know i want to know the why they don't think it's but you know they don't have an interest maybe they've done that before and they've been incredibly sore because that's where somebody started them and that's the third step in the rung you know and we have a progressive model, so maybe by the time they got there, they'd feel safer doing it. I just want to understand the why, because everybody should do it, male, female alike, because I promise you I've heard this before from females back in the day when I trained. And there's been a big difference in females' training approach with some of the high-intensity that's out there now. And weightlifting is much more acceptable and uh, used. But they're like, oh, I don't want to pick up anything over five pounds. I'm going to gain too much muscle. And Prentice, I know you and I would be like, we wish it was that easy, right? Oh, oh. be great. Yeah. We have way more testosterone in our body than the females, but some of them had this fear. So, it's just that education, and once they realize that, okay, we're going to go through a progressive model, and that yes, to want to get some, you know, hypertrophy or muscular development in the sense that it's going to help me age, it's going to help prevent that natural decline, increases my metabolism, all these other health benefits, and when they realize they're only going to do it for maybe four to six weeks before we progress into a different phase. I think they have a better understanding of why it's so beneficial from a health standpoint. So at some point, everyone should at least, you should have that conversation. However, if you're doing phase two, the first exercise is the hypertrophy model anyways, followed immediately by the stabilization. So you can still get those benefits that we just discussed in phase two. So you could potentially skip phase three and still get the benefits because of phase two.
2: Okay. and. Uh this question uh, a couple we had a couple of questions come in uh this one comes from scott and uh recognize uh scott from facebook and master trainer uh so thank you for hopping on today i think he's up here in my neighborhood in scottsdale uh scott wanted scott asked based on the new opt model uh does the new opt model recommend three two one over over 4-2-1 now and my first stab at it is that we still use 4-2-1 in stabilization phase but i'll let you i'll open i'll open that up to you uh, wendy uh what are we what are we using what's the difference between 4 two, one and 3 two, one tempos in each of those phases
3: well we've gone you know back and forth between calling it slow but the thing that we found out is that we needed to define what slow was. So we put the count of 4 to one to really show the emphasis being on the eccentric contraction. Again, with us doing anywhere from 12 to 20 reps in phase one, then we can slow it down and we would be able to maintain the control and get the adaptations of stabilization endurance by utilizing that count and that rep range. So we, and when you get to phase two, we've sped it up, or in some textbooks, still people say do, you know, 202 and then a 421 or a 321. I mean, the weight is heavier. And as long as on your stabilization exercise, you're still doing it slow, whether it's a three second or a four second, you're still going to get the same strength endurance benefits, regardless of whether that, you know, whether that one second is, is a, you know, a four second or a three second. So I think it's just really trying to emphasize be slow on the stabilization, and then you can speed it up during the strength exercises.
2: Okay. And then, and then also there's, you have a little more demand going on when you yeah when you get up into phase two and you're starting to work with uh, those type two muscle fibers you probably wouldn't make it through your entire your entire rep range if you stuck with the the longer the longer weighted slow tempo so you can actually use both you can actually use both scott the 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 main point is is that it is a slow tempo the six to seven second rep Right. Okay. And, uh, we have one more question and I'll fire this one to you, Marty. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons for performing cardio during these phases is to promote, uh, optimal tissue recovery. Uh, can you elaborate on that? What's, how is cardio helping tissue recovery, uh, in training?
1: That's, well, I got to make some assumptions because cardio, just like resistance training, doesn't tell me everything. Cause it's a, You know, a a linear model as well, like resistance training can be stabilization strength or power. Cardio can be different intensities. So I'm assuming that they're looking at that lower intensity just to kind of get the body back to a more steady state, because if we go right into the higher intensities in cardio, you've you know, you got to, you know, filter that part into the overall volume of training, because at some point they have to be higher intensities to get the heart rate up. So you may be doing more muscle damage in a sense, whether you're grinding out on a bike, whether you're doing more plyometrics and things. So that has to be factored in. So when we talk about recovery, I'm assuming it's a very lower steady state. So that way, one, it's either because I'm gonna be doing such aggressive exercises in my resistance training program, or I might be newer to fitness so my body's not ready for those increased demands. But obviously anytime we can get circulation going and blood moving through the body, that does help repair tissue.
2: Okay um, and can you or maybe this isn't the scope of this particular webinar but just can you touch on that effect on uh, lower lower intensity steady- state cardio and uh, its effect on your you know, on your sympathetic nervous system, because we, we do have that effect on that tissue from our traditional strength training. Can you touch on that a little bit, Marty?
1: Sure, so, you know, when we're at that lower state, the, the nervous system is not gonna be as excited. It helps kind of release those hormones to kind of bring everything down to a more calm state. Because okay. if I had to get the heart rate up, right, think about it from a survival technique. Usually when we had to get our heart rate back up in survival days, it's something was chasing us. You know, I always kind of go back to what I call the caveman theory, which I brought into the cognitive. There's an excitation because there was only one reason to get your heart rate up that high back then was something bad's about to happen. I need to, you know, run. So keeping your body in that calmer state does have an overall effect on that, you know, nervous system and that calmer ability to keep the heart rate lower. It's great also for your athletes that can find a way to focus and bring their heart rate down from uh, you know a quick heart rate and be able to recover and get their body and their mind calm as well.
2: Okay, perfect, thank you, thank you. And I think we covered, this question was for you, uh, but I think we covered this in depth of why phases three and four are optional, but uh, I'll fire this last question to you, Wendy, and uh, definitely pick up on it. Uh, marty uh, can you skip phase three and go straight to uh four uh this person has a client who's an athlete and wants to become more powerful but not gain size and if you think about all of the uh weight dependent sports like uh all of the uh combat sports boxing wrestling and to a to a degree track and field where you can't you can't really come out of the blocks and be a winner with all that extra body weight. Uh, Can you skip phase three and go to uh, phase four, Wendy?
3: Well, we just talked about the benefits of phases three and four. So for many clients, they're gonna get exposure to the type of loads, rest periods, and exercises typically used in those two phases or in in phase two and in phase five. Um, So there's gonna be quite a bit of overlap. And I think if you have a client for the long-term, Or their goals revolve primarily around muscular and and physique development then it would be beneficial to get more specific by progressing them through uh, phases three and four now however for you know many clients that might not be an option or their goals um for example like a golfer you know they may encompass a variety of things from you know they just may want to feel better look better and function better so For the more bang for the buck, phases one, two, and five are going to expose your clients to the broadest variety of the variables and stimuli that, you know, and it would be more sufficient at improving like all the aspects of strength, fitness, conditioning, and performance. But you can, you can definitely skip, you know, that's how we've made three and four optional, like one, two, and five, we don't make optional um, because they're very specific to living your life in all aspects. Um, from stabilization, strength, and power. However, there are really good times to throw it in there, sprinkle it in there. You know, again, maybe not four to six weeks, but I think there's benefits to all all five phases when using the, the OBT model, for sure. So.
2: Yeah, I think definitely follow through. Take your clients through as many, uh, of course, according to their goals, but expose them to those different training stimuli because that helps you know, that helps development of all of their qualities over the long run. So we are at the end of our uh, webinar for today. And before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask those of you uh, listening out there, do you have any more questions for Wendy and Marty? All right. So as always, uh, Wendy, what are your big, uh, first, number one, what are your big takeaways uh, for today and uh, how can people find you after this is all over?
3: Um, I would say the most important thing is if you haven't truly gone through the model. um,
2: We'll get back to Wendy. Uh, Marty, what are your big takeaways for today and uh, how
1: can people find you when this is all done? I'm probably going to steal what Wendy was going to say. Is Each phase has a dis- distinct uh, reason. So we encourage you to go through all the phases at least once if you're ever going to teach it. And then you might pick and choose you know, whether some of them are optional for you. But as Wendy said, there are three that are musts to some level. You'll find that. So don't be afraid of that strength block of training. It's there for a reason. Use it to your advantage. And then to get a hold of me, my Instagram is miller.marty72. And then my NESM email is marty.miller at nasm.org. All right. Great. And back to you, Wendy.
3: (laughs) Hopefully. yeah, Exactly. And that's where I was going. You know, you need to go through the phases to appreciate them. Um, Again, a lot of times people come in, they've only done hypertrophy training. They've never tried the variations. So I think, you know, exposing them into phase two is a big eye opener. It's very challenging, but a lot of fun. Um, so go through the phases, and uh, and then if you have questions, let us know. And uh, the way to get a hold of me, uh, my Instagram is wendy.bats13. Uh, Twitter is bats 13 and bats at nasm.org is my email address.
2: All right. Great. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, uh, Wendy, and thank you, Marty, and thank you for everyone who spent the hour with us, and you all have a great day. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. The
0: future of fitness is here. Be a part of it. NASM's new virtual coaching course will equip you with the skills, tools, and strategies necessary to launch, operate, or transition your current fitness or wellness business to a successful virtual coaching business. As a virtual coaching specialist, you'll open yourself to a whole new world of opportunities, being able to help clients from around the world anywhere and anytime. It's the ultimate flexibility as a trainer while also creating new revenue streams. Start the next phase of your training career with NASM's Virtual Coaching Specialization. Sign up today at nasm.org or call one 800 460 6276.